Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Mocha Live. You got my main man, Colborn Bell, founder of the Museum of Crypto Art. On the sticks, I am Max Cohen, the writer here at the Museum of Crypto Art. And today we're going to talk about crypto art. Colborn, how are you today? I'm well. Uh, it's been intense, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been an intense day, but I'm happy to be here. Excellent. I'm happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here with you. How you doing um, today? I'm excellent. I look forward to our Wednesday conversations. Nice. Yeah, um, me too. So today we're going to talk about crypto art, but specifically we're going to talk about uh, Twitter, social media. And how the politics of social media seep into crypto art. Um, now, Colborn, you put an addendum on that uh, with a couple of exclamation points. Crypto art is in distress. Why is crypto art in distress? I'm, look, I, I think I sit in an interesting position, right? I sit in between like a lot of different people in the space. And I hear it from, from all over, right? But most of these things are coming like ground up from the artists. There's just a lot of frustration right now. It, it feels, of course, like, you know, the, the larger mission that was has failed. Um, it feels like the, the means of which we are communicating, uh, be it Twitter or Instagram or whatever mode people discord, it, it all just kind of feels broken. Like everything is broken or breaking or in the process of um, transforming. Have you felt this before in your like crypto art experience or is there something new kind of groundswell, a negative groundswell happening right now? Look, I've never been like a social media person. I have been in like this Twitter thing by having to be in it for this. Uh, This is for sure, I think like the lowest point of the conversation on Twitter, the like access to opinion, like the innov- innovation, the things that are being uplifted. This definitely feels like a, a low in that regard. I gave up on Discord pretty long ago as far as trying to be there active daily everywhere. Um, so, and I don't do Instagram. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting. So, I, very quickly after I came into the space, realized how much of it was basically taking place on Twitter and almost the bulk of it was happening on Twitter. You know, we see discords, especially like individual artist discords. We see some Instagram usage, but for the most part, right, if not the aesthetics and the conversation is happening on Twitter. And I wrote about this over the summer uh, for NFT Now, um, which involved talking to Robness about kind of how crypto art came to Twitter. And it made a lot of sense when he was explaining it to me, right? these initial people who were getting involved in early NFTs and early crypto art and pioneering crypto art, they loved crypto, right? And where the crypto conversation was taking place, where Vitalik had decided to take the um, Ethereum conversation was Twitter. So everything just kind of glommed on here. Um, I mean, Jack Dorsey was the only person that was supportive of cryptocurrency period, Mm -hmm. right? So it felt like it naturally just like a very good fit and place to be for, for that community. Also, because it was in responsive, uh, like real time, there was something about the algorithm that was very favorable to the events as they were unfolding. It was a great place to keep track of like news and events. 
Yeah, what was it? I think 2019 when Facebook and Instagram both banned ads from crypto companies. Um, yeah, which it would I have been like 18, 19 after after everybody made all the money off the ICO boom anyway. So it's just like too little too late. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think we see very obviously the aesthetics of Twitter have entered the aesthetics of crypto art. And by that, I mean, you know, Twitter is kind of batshit crazy. It's kind of all over the place. There's this like endless war of opinions and topics and fighting for attention. And I think that crypto art so kind of beautifully captures that massive like miasma of just information, but you know, with no specific source to no specific end, it's all just out there. And I think that's wonderful. But I guess just before we get into anything else, like why do you think Twitter has been uh, like an erosive force against crypto art or do you even think that that's true i mean double-edged sword always right it like demands your engagement your attention but is that really you know how to go about creating well-intentioned deep thoughtful art mm -hmm. you know so everybody is constantly split i think it goes back to the aesthetic that you're describing of like this this chaotic frenetic like it's it's a place where people generally like approach things uh, kind of like head on and angry. And it does kind of become like very uh, at times, I don't know, confrontational and, and aggressive. So it is an interesting venue to begin to discuss anything like artistic. It seems, you know, at some point it just, it favored sales. It favored like low quality engagement farming it catered to a bunch of people that knew how to game it and, and didn't really care for people that were trying to have those discussions or any sort of like collective thoughtful. Um, right. It was the, it was like, yeah. the G, it was the GM effect, right. Let's just like reduce uh -huh. everything to like it's most base bubblegum, like candy uh, culture. And let's like mm -hmm. export that as something that's well, meaningful. Well, I think that that's the natural result, right? When you're working, when the space exists on a platform that is exclusively ruled by this, I don't know, subterranean algorithm that we don't necessarily understand. We know we're enthralled to, but you know, we can game it as best we can, but we can't control it. You know, what's going to happen is the things that the algorithm enjoys are going to rise to the top, right? I think that's always been there, but in that kind of wonky social algorithm sense. Right. Like whatever is capturing the cultural zeitgeist of the moment is essentially appealing to some algorithm. But now that algorithm is you know, numerical and it's you know, controlled by a single entity as opposed to, I guess, more collectively, culturally um, processed and proposed. Um, but you made a really interesting point um, earlier that I want to um, get your thoughts on. And that was um, the difference between content and art. Right. Because we're nominally an art movement, or we like to think of ourselves as an art movement, but at the same time, the channels that we use to expose ourselves to those art or to that art, to sell and buy and look at and exalt that art, all in every other circumstance, prioritize content. So, what is the difference there, and how do we navigate? How do we walk I, that line? Ever since we like started asking this question, I've, I'm wondering from the beginning if this has always just been a content movement, mm. right? I, you know, I, uh, I don't know. I think that's, I think that's 
I don't know. That's not really like a question I have an answer to because then you start to get into your own head about like how much conditioning you've had that already makes you respond to content as art. Well, I think this is a larger issue, right? Where uh, I remember, um, you know, as I've graduated into the adult world as a creative, seeing so much pushback from creatives on, you know, their specific artistic nomenclature being replaced by content creator and how belittling content creator as a name is. But that's what all of this is, right? And when we, you know, tune into a Netflix shareholders meeting, they're not talking about their programs, they're talking about the content, right? And when Variety and The Hollywood Reporter are talking about the streaming wars, they're talking about who has the best content. That word has seeped into everywhere. Do you think there, there's a difference? Or well, do you think yeah, that that- of course, because content creator, it, it reduces you to, you're beholden to the platform for which you're creating, right? Whether it was Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, like you are at the mercy of, of that. You are literally just creating content for that platform, right? There was a promise of sovereignty here, right? That like you could have uh, some like existence outside of uh, like of, of deplatforming, right? Like you were suddenly owning your audience because they had the ability to own your work. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think it is incredibly diminutive to like call it content, content. Yeah, it has. I mean, even the word has like odes of, uh, or it stinks of like self satisfaction, right? Content, content. Maybe that's uh, reading too much in the yeah. Latin root of the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think right. that like content as we understand it, whether it's Twitter content or streaming platform content, you know, it's meant to be spread, right? As far as possible, right? How, how many people can have their eyes on this, right? And I think that it does make sense when you know, these entertainment publications are talking about content because the goal of all of these streaming services, the goal of most Twitter communication, and and I suppose in large part, the goal of many artists is for their work to be seen by as many people as possible, you know, full stop, right? But art in theory is meant to be internalized, one would think. Maybe I'm too romantic about the thing, Um but I think about you know my own writing, right? Would I rather have a hundred people gloss over an article um, that I write, or would I rather have two people really engage with it, really feel changed by it, you know, really have their emotions mm, toyed not toyed with, but um, affected by it, right? Um, where's the line between that? And hasn't this been like for since you've been involved with the museum, like the internal discussion that we've had? Right. Like you see so many people doing more things like appealing to the masses, being more commercial, like put And it's like it's like incredibly, in my opinion, like so cringe, inauthentic, like. And but it works. And that like really confuses me because it makes me feel like I actually have no idea what this audience is, what they want or what people are trying to consume. Mm-hmm. Um, and I imagine like. There's a lot of artists. I know for a fact that there's a lot of artists right now, like going through internal crises of like, probably they, they no longer know what their collector wants or what their brand is because everybody was like, so like aggressive in a bull market. And there was just like 
no control and now uh it has to be like so lean and tight and there's so few collectors and the people are getting propped or like so clearly getting manipulated and and it's like what is left of something that was so like natural and organic yeah something i am very grateful for with the museum is that you know we're not reliant on clicks um to have a huge like financial output right i think of all, you know most of these sites that are generating content quickly right they have to generate as many clicks as possible because they're reliant on the income that comes from you know advertising metrics from those clicks right and what you get when you're unmarried from that is the ability to explore the ability to play the ability to be really creative in a way that isn't you know uh, appealing to the um, search engine algorithm i mean every time i meet a writer out into the world they're generally you know search engine optimization writers right which is wonderful and i will never you know, chagrin anyone for the hustle, but it's deeply unsatisfying to me as I imagine it's deeply unsatisfying to them. I think it's really interesting, right? If we take that paradigm and just shift it to artists themselves, right? As an individual, when you're responsible for your income with your art, if that's first and foremost, your priority, well, we can say all these wonderful things about everyone having their individual style, but you're kind of forced to chase the zeitgeist, right? Unless you have one of these um, patrons, that is always going to be there for your work. And it's not until you've captured the zeitgeist that you can then do the experimentation. I mean, imagine how like infuriating it must be for an artist who has like worked for years to develop their own style, their unique thing. And like, what do they see selling is like X copy derivatives, Grant Yoon derivatives, like derivatives of derivatives, you know? And, mm -hmm. it, and it goes all the way down. And that that for me is is it's pretty frightening and what's even crazier is how quickly so many other people are to like jump in behind a commercially successful artist style mm -hmm. and it speaks Definitely. to just that ability to like proliferate and spread that that art as content so like whereas you know perhaps the original had some real like intention and thought and depth and like a statement and clarity then the visual, the visual aesthetic just gets repackaged and resold way, way, way down the line. I, I mean, you know, Anubis was was telling us about the person who, I guess, just kind of like took an X copy and minted it or did an mm -hmm. unofficial X copy collab because it was CCO. And then everybody got mad because it was an unofficial collab, but they minted like hundreds of open editions. And like, this is this is the end goal. This is like the perpetual race to the to the bottom. And it's sure. Yeah. I don't, I, I think that an interesting kind of inoculation to this principle is what I see from groups like CryptoArg um, and making it, right? You know, that's making it 24 7 in Crypto Argentina, who boast among their ranks, and there are dozens of people in both of these organizations, right? These like artist collectives. And they have within them uh, de varying degrees of um, financial success among individual artists. Um, and I think it's really interesting because they buy each other's work. They support each other, right? There's almost this like mm, kibbutz. We're all in this together. We're all working towards the same goal atmosphere. And it lets the individual artists, especially those who do not have the name recognition of those at the top, be more experimental, be more artistic as opposed to creating content because there's already been the success of those elsewhere in the organization, um, right? The financial shouldering the financial burden does not come down to the individual. It's spread out amongst um, a bevy of 
shoulders of various degrees of wideness. Um, and I think it's very impressive. Look at that collective mentality has worked time and time again, right? Because once people like find each other and I guess I can curse here, like you like when you really fuck with a group of people, right? Like those <laughs> are your people. Like that, that is also how you kind of beat the algorithm, right? You're mm -hmm. not out there alone. You have people supporting your work. You're in shows together. Like if people are at different stages, like, it's validation for each other's art as well and to keep going and, and recognition and, and those groups like that is, I think the original nature of what the thing was because it was small enough. And then of course it got so big, but like, if you knew this person like was into this person, well then like you should be into that too. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's how we as humans draw mental models. So, like, you know, I would encourage certainly more people to begin to think about, like, the, the other artists that you're interested in, how you can rep yourself in, like, larger ways, how you can each speak to each other. I think that that is, that is for sure structural. Like, I, I think we're really getting away. We have to try and get away from whatever like the contemporary traditional art world sense of like the ego of the artist as that person in like the standalone thing into like the body of the collective mm -hmm. i think that's very much like a web two to web three shift certainly and i think you know so we've just talked about content versus art right we're using these um kind of two groupings of language right the like internet era web 2 language versus something that's more universal right and i do want to shift talking about another layer of that which is art world concepts that we've understood for a while right collectors curators and now having that abut against something that's also very like algorithmically generated the idea of influencers um and how blurred the line is between them right it seems to be to be an extension of the same principle right you have artists who can't just make art because they're financially reliant on making content and you have these collectors and curators who for the same reason right because it's not just enough to collect work oftentimes you have to promote it right you have to use that work to gain clout because there's financial incentives and socio-cultural um, incentives that go along with making sure that your footprint is as large as possible so what do you think it says just in general? I mean, what do you think the effects have been of this blurring of the lines between collector slash curator and this influencer model that I think we all think is odious, but we can't totally avoid? Yeah, we can't escape it because, you know, uh, you, uh, <laughs> you can, like, I can speak to the worst of it for sure. Like I can speak to Crypto888 and I can speak to Beanie and how, like they came in, they used, you know, their money to, you know, perpetrate all sorts of things that they wanted to. They were incredibly like inflammatory. Um, and then, you know, over time they got outed. So like default model, mental model in my mind is that like all of these people are, are running some sort of like long term extractive scam. Like everybody was very quick to like pick up on the language that was working and then like LARP as that persona. <laughs> and then 
eventually pull the rug. It's like, how long is this going to to last? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I know a lot about like a lot of other people. And, you know, the, the sad truth of the matter is, is that like a lot of these like late game influencers with a ton of money are really just like sales and marketing, online sales and marketing gurus, right? So gurus. So <laughs> what, like what is like, you know, like you're the, the Pied Piper of capitalism. And it's it's mm -hmm. all so backwards because that was exactly what we were trying to get away from. Like, you know, uh, an open decentralized metaverse does not mean like funneling everybody into the metaverse that you're clearly funding. Sure. So uh, along these lines, so we had um, Una, wonderful performance artist, ask this question um, on our initial post about this podcast episode, but. Um, she asks, what do all those identifiers, influencer slash creator slash collector say not about the person, but the audience they think they're speaking to. And I think there is a deeply unsettling truth that I'm not sure we've all collectively set upon about just the kind of audience that's here. And I think that a hint at what the audience is is denoted in the fact that we still have to talk about what a bad investment art is, right? Because, I mean, it's been cried to the heavens by everybody with a platform, right? Don't come here for investing, right? These are not good investments. Art will never be a, a good investment, especially art that's not of, you know, the upper echelon, quote unquote, upper echelon, already like accepted as market-making artists, right? These are not... Um, pieces that are meant to be resold in a lot of cases, um, especially with the open edition boom that we're seeing. It needs to be said again and again that if you're buying open editions, you should not go into them with the expectation that they're going to sell for a lot in five or 10 years, even if the artist hits it big, right? Quote unquote, hits it big. Um, so let me just turn that question back to you. I and mean, what kind of audience do you think is actually here in the crypto art space? Because I think when I think about like who's watching this video or who would be interfacing with us. It's a lot of artists. Um, it's a lot of curators, but you know, I don't know how many people are here that actually just love art and want to just see a bunch of art and learn about art. I was having a conversation with our sample last night and I think they placed it like really good. Like how weird is it when you strip away the online anonymity really that a bunch of generally like younger artists are saying GM to like middle-aged men that are pretending to be like punks or monkeys or like pudgy penguins or like these cartoon characters. Like it's kind of odd, you know, it like that this is, it's almost like a, like a kiss the ring effect. So, well, I, I do want to gently push back on that because I think Please. that there, I'm not sure I vibe necessarily with the predatory um, insinuations there because I do think in a space like this, like I love the idea that a, a middle-aged man can let go of their identity. In theory, you know, I don't think it's hiding behind um, these profile pictures as much as, as it could be leveraging them to then explore new identities, right? I think it's the same thing that people are unsettled with, with like furries, where it's like, yeah, <laughs> furries are kind of weird, but it's also so beautiful that these people 
are, you know, they feel comfortable in this other skin and they're getting to interact with a class of people in a way of interaction that they wouldn't normally have access to. The problem is, with you, is that, yeah. is that intention is unknown, right? Uh-huh. So like, if you don't know if they're acting for good, they probably don't even know. Like, you know, I think everybody, there's just like a lot of uh, role playing and probably like fantasy and ideas of, of, uh, I don't know. The imagination is a powerful thing. It is its own like performative art piece, collective mm-hmm. performative art piece. So when I was uh, 22, I managed a restaurant up in Boston. Um, I don't know how I got that position, but I had worked there a little bit as a server. So I'm managing this restaurant, right? And we have a general manager. She's 25, a couple other managers there around my age, 22, 23, a bunch of servers who are all college kids or just out of college. And I remember we had a busy brunch one Saturday and um, places screaming with people. Everything's falling apart. And I kind of looked around. And I realized that we were a bunch of kids playing restaurant. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Everybody yeah, yeah. from the top down was just a kid that was doing the best they could, having the experience that they had. And I feel a lot of times like we're doing the same thing in crypto art, right? It is a bunch of people who have no experience running, influencing, contributing to an art movement. But yeah. That's what we're doing, right? We're running these institutions. and But that's you know, what all of life is. Yes, but it feels very palpable here. And I'm, I wonder how much of the, I wonder how much activity that seems insidious to us is really just childishness or immaturity or inexperience. You know, I think about these influencers, right? I think uh, I'll say it again. We all have this kind of odious idea of these influencers, but like, I think if you're in this position where suddenly you're looking at this glut of people that are interested in what you say that you can then maybe not profit off of, but work in conjunction with to make some money, to have some influence, who knows what you can do with that. You know, everybody has this wonderful idealized version of themselves. Um, and so I think about, you know, the perspectives of the masked 40, you know, 40 something year old man who is, um, you know, putting out his ring to be kissed by these younger artists. And it's, <laughs> You know, perhaps it is insidious in intent. Perhaps it's great in intent, but it's it all depends on the reading. It all depends on what you do with the power once you have snagged it. And I yeah. do think that there's some of these influencers who I well, don't know it's how like, much they actually. It's yeah, like my general distrust for politicians. You know, like if you crave the power, if you desire to be there, and if you are so like intentional about wanting to be that, then there has to be. Then I just like there has to be something wrong. Uh huh. Well, let me ask. So, you know, we have this wild environment, right? Where you have all these people's, all these people whose identities are being hidden behind layers, right? The Twitter layer, the profile picture layer, whatever quote unquote characters they're putting on. In 2023, right? This moment, January 25th, at 5.28 PM EST. How does an artist navigate this environment well versus how do you think they would best navigate like the ideal crypto art sphere that I think you and I are aligned on um, that we see, but may not actually exist. Like what, what is the practical difference for the artists? Do you have an answer to that? I don't anymore. I don't know (laughs) anymore. Like I really don't, you know, I don't, I, I, I keep trying to figure out like who is, is the collector, right? What actually like, 
I, I think you can probably count the number of patrons on like this many fingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't, you know, we, we, it's like you said, it's all ad hoc. We benefit from no infrastructure. Uh, I, I think, you know, I understand it, it has to, the only thing I really know for sure is that it has to be slow and steady. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have to be so strong willed and like horse with blinders on that. Like, you know, yourself, you know, your vision, you know what you're trying to express and you're uncompromising in doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not like the desire. We've seen too many people go exponential and then there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Right. There's nowhere left to go because like people plateau in this space and anybody in the traditional art world will tell you like once you plateau and you stall, like the only place left to go is like straight back down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like a lot of people saw a lot, of, a lot of other people's success and were trying to replicate similar things. And then it's like dilutive, 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 dilutive. And it just doesn't look good. Right. So, you know, to I think like X copy wins because X copy was so steadfast in that thing from the beginning, producing, producing, producing. And I bet right now, like they're sitting at home, probably like a little bit lost because they're king of the mountaintop. But, uh, you know, what if they I don't know, you know, the last couple of things were like hyper commercial things. They felt like favors to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it feels like the original point of the art. Maybe, you know, maybe it was a bit lost and that's sad. Well, I think, I think that so much onus is put on artists, right? I, I think the whole onus of the space is put on artists, right? And there's this invisible contingent of collectors that if you do everything right as an artist, oh, they'll come out of the woodwork. They'll see your hustle. They'll see your grind and they will, they will bring you to paradise, right? And it's like every cult you know you impress the leader and he'll put you on that ship to the i don't know planet zorp you know with the <laughs> coconuts and it's water yeah. that tastes like cotton candy infinite ease. regardless i think that the idea of collecting art is really difficult to justify for a lot of people and myself included when there's nothing to do with this art but leave it in the wallet until technology advances to the point that I can display it in my home, right? You know, I would not go at me, right? And Max Cohen, I'm not going to the, you know, Brooklyn flea market up in Dumbo buying some art piece so I can, buying some art piece by who knows, right? Just some flea market stand selling an art piece so I can put it in the basement or put it in the closet, right? And wait for an opportunity to put it on the wall. I'm getting it so I can look at it. I'm getting it so it can go in my living room. Right, but we don't have that capability yet with crypto art or NFTs for the most part, right? Outside of these digital environments and these very um, slapdash um, and segmented digital environments. So a, a theoretical collector like me, I'm as beholden to the idea of you know, an artist's so-called success as anybody. But because an art, a collector like me or a so-called collector like me i don't uh, has no other choice of what to do with this art other than to keep it in my wallet and know that i have it right where's my incentive for finding new artists right 
I want because what I really want to say is there needs to be more onus on collectors to go out and look for art. Right. It's not just about the artists marketing themselves. It's about the collectors sifting through all this art and finding things that really speak to them and finding things that are wonderful. But then you have to ask the question, well, why am I doing that? Right. What is ownership doing for me that simply looking at it doesn't? And we laugh at the idea of the right click saver. But in a large part, you can get what you want out of the art piece without necessarily owning it. If you're not interested in clout, if you're not interested in you know the investment, right? If you're just interested in looking at the thing. Before NFTs, I would do the same thing with any picture I saw on the internet. I would right click, I would save, I would put it as my phone background or my computer background so I can look at it. Um, and, I, and I think we are in this very weird time for crypto art where everything seems to be all these different facets, right? The technology, the collectorship, the aesthetics, they all seem to be now moving apart in their own like evolutionary pathways. Hmm. I think it makes it very weird to sit at this intersection and say, well, you know, the art is there, but the collectorship isn't. The collectorship maybe hmm. isn't because the technology isn't advancing in the way that we need it to. Um, what do you think? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's all chicken and egg, right? I think what yeah. you said was, was actually really, really fascinating. Um, you know, because in the beginning, what we were was like pretty much a niche VR community, uh-huh. right? And we were having these like artistic experiences together in VR. I must have onboarded like 20 people in the beginning <laughs> of the museum into VR just because they wanted to see the museum. Mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, like that is an experience worth having. Once... And as quickly as it did was was mind blowing. Once that immersive experience gets reduced to a thumbnail image mm-hmm. of which you're building brand around, like that is when it was just an incredible reduction. But you always have to reduce, reduce, reduce for accessibility, right? Mm-hmm. So then there's like this this massive amount of onboarding, people buying all sorts of things, nobody knowing, like. Some people making money, telling their friends like frenzy, you know, like chicken to alligator frenzy. Um, And here we are in in the dust in the aftermath. uh, And, you know, some people got fed. Most people are still like hungry. Some people are looking around, like wondering what happened. Um, And I, I, I don't have answers for anybody other than like you got to just stick around and find out and kind of know exactly what it is that you want. I think some of the most successful people have always been like the most upfront, transparent and authentic people that are like Mm -hmm. really in this for the experiment and describing all of their steps along the way. I know you just did that like article on Claire Silver. I think that's a perfect example of somebody that uh, it was really, really honest and transparent. And, and, you know, when we consider what it means to be like, you know, a collector as influencer or somebody that is, you know, influencing because they are honest, authentic and like deserve an audience. Well, we're looking at like two, two totally different spectrums. Yeah. I think it's really interesting what you were saying about um, these virtual experiences you know, I, I think that that's one of the reasons I believe in the quote unquote metaverse. I think that's one of the reasons that Mocha is so aligned with the metaverse. I think it's one of the reasons we've put so much time and resources into rooms um, 
because we believe in the ability of these virtual environments to give a reason for crypto arts being. Um, and I do think that it's inevitable that people are, I don't think crypto arts inevitable. Um, I think that we're here, that, that we're here and that the community here is so powerful or at least interested in maintaining itself is kind of a miracle, but virtual worlds I think are inevitable and people will spend more time in them and it will give a reason for ownership of these, you know, art pieces that you'll be able to display them in these spaces. You know, one of my favorite artists is natural warp who creates these incredible, like spherical works. I mean, he does all sorts of incredible things, but one of the things that he does is creates these incredible, like spherical um, overlays, right? You step inside and you're in this incredible fractal environment and it's completely impossible to feel a connection to that art unless you are in VR goggles walking through this space, right? As I think is the case with a lot of these objects, um, Claire Volstadt is, um, I think, one of the greatest 3D sculptors we have, but it's impossible or at least very difficult to fully appreciate her art and these sculptures that she creates unless you're looking at them in a virtual environment in which they're huge and in front of you and you're walking around them and you're interrogating them when you're just dragging and dropping them with your clicker finger, as I think is how we must experience them when Twitter is the place where we spend most of our time. I think it's very hard to appreciate the artistry. Um, I think it's very, very hard to appreciate the artistry. And in place of that, we have name and we place importance, admiration that should be coming from the art. Um, we instead play connected to the names because that's what Twitter puts before us in bold face is somebody's name. And then, you know, whatever they have in their thumbnail tweet, if we choose to expand on it. I think the whole thing was very absurdist, right? <laughs> like, what is the point of digital ownership when you can right-click save, right? That's mm -hmm. that's the whole, that's the core of the question. Uh, it, it was like an absurdist play that just happened in real time. And I don't, you know, I don't know what it means to own a digital object when there is infinite reproducibility other than that it's just like, of course, like, the next natural extension of capitalism to go into <laughs> what are like abundant spaces and begin to try and divide them up. Um, and of course, like, because we can do it, we did it. Mm -hmm. uh, but to me, it always felt a bit like a, a, a funny joke played on the world, but it, then it like really, really got out of hand. Levity. We're missing levity, I think, in a lot of places. We're missing. We're missing the ridiculousness of the space. Yeah, I mean, look, that's, I, I mean, I think that's why people was so successful, right? And that's why people ended up being the face of this. But again, like capital eats a person like that. Like that is probably you know somebody who is very playful and amusing and curious, uh, but that that person ends up getting like co opted for a million different things. Mm -hmm. um, which again is part of like associating your your public persona to the art is that once you are like known then then you are influenced and it really doesn't matter like how much money you of course like even like Elon Musk is out there playing Twitter persona and not you know like richest man in the world so well i think to connect that outside of crypto art like everybody's favorite you know 80s 90s artists you know Basquiat right? 
there was a dude who was super aware, super aware. He was forced yeah. to be aware of his place in the artistic canon and how successful he was. And he would sit in his Soho apartment, you know, on the, his penthouse apartment, you know, getting wasted and making this incredible art. And a bunch of yuppies would come by. They'd place million dollar bids on that art. And what choice did this guy have but to continue making it? I think it killed him. I mean, I'm not going to say sure. this or that killed him, but there's no way it didn't contribute to that, right? The awareness of his position. I mean, you make these people, you, we make people shooting stars and then we get surprised when they crash. It's like, well, we're, we're throwing you real high up there. And uh, I'm not sure anybody has actually survived that fall, no matter how, many, how we may romanticize the Warhols and the Dalis and the Pollocks. I mean, most of, a, a lot of these people were deeply, deeply um, unhappy. I mean, I think for me, the most prescient example is David Foster Wallace. You know, and as a writer, I've always emulated, or as, as a writer, I, I always emulated David Foster Wallace, this genius who writes these incredibly long, complex, big books full of ideas, and they're funny and they're interesting. And that guy at 40 was, you know, he had everything that I've ever wanted for myself, right? He had the clout, he had the critical success, he had the audience, he could have done anything anywhere for anybody and they would have paid him out the wazoo to do it. And he battled some demons, you know, he hung himself in 2010. And, uh, you know, that kind of superstardom that we all dream for ourselves is just not sustaining, right? Because you keep having more demanded of you. I think Twitter does that not to not, I don't think we came. No, no, no. I think it's on. I think think it's on brand. I think Twitter does do that. Right. Yeah. uh, yeah. With your follower count. Right. I have 50 followers. That's awesome. I have a hundred. I have 500. I have 800. And I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that every time I opened Twitter, I didn't check to see if I had gained or lost some followers. Right. It's always a number. doesn't matter if you gain a thousand overnight, right. Double your Twitter follower count always more there's always a larger audience i bet cristiano ronaldo with his you know 70 million followers still it's like oh how can i make that 90 i mean that speaks to just like the core there is something very core fundamental about like number go up right like more 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 like we just have this in our nature again i don't know if it is like human nature or if it is just like capitalistic programming because we won but everybody wants more and it's just not sustainable and and frankly there's no way to even begin to rewire that desire uh because if you do less then somebody's just gonna do more and i don't know man so let me ask you a last question right are there salves for this that are available to us that aren't spiritual or does it just come down to, you know, every artist needs to just become spiritually okay with putting out work that may not sell. <laughs> I, and know, I Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, like, disconnect yourself from the economics and just create, right, as much as possible. That's where I see mm-hmm. the greatest amount of concern is people, like, cared about caring about supply or caring about should they do this or should they follow this, like, trend, like, again, nobody is going to have the answer. So crowdsourcing information is never going to give you a good answer. You just have to do like what is in your heart and is good for you. Um, And if you can go back and justify it and, and say like, you know, I did an open edition because I wanted more people to access my work 
at a lower price point and you believe that and you believe that is good for you and you believe it is good for people and you like kind of exist in a do no harm but that this is all just one big great experiment then that's great um mm -hmm. yeah i think it's important we remember